0: Open your Bibles, please, to Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. Revelation 20, verse 11, we're in a series, Strength for Today and Hope for Tomorrow, beginning again with verse 11, and this is the Word of God. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Enjoy join me, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, what assuring words we have before us this morning. What hope Father, what our brother Dean is um, enjoying even now, uh, Father. Uh, so, Lord, uh, help us understand, Father what you're saying to us here, Lord, what you're saying about judgment, what you're saying to us about eternity, we would pray. And this we ask in Jesus' name, amen. I remember them well, despite my last one being, quite frankly, more than a few years ago, and that's final exams. You know, that was the time when the, uh, uh, we were held accountable by a teacher for all that we had learned that semester or even that year. Um, and uh, some of you already or will face them in the coming weeks for math, science, history, English, and more. Now, I do have some good news for you there, and that is the day will come when you don't have to take final exams anymore. All right? Uh, school is finally over, uh, and I'll be honest, it's, it's a relief. Uh, but despite my aversion uh, to them, I realize there's another final exam coming, uh, and it's one we all must take and destroy the final exam that's described for us in our text today. See, the Bible is quite clear. We must all stand before the judgment throne of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll all one day be called to account for our lives, everything we've ever said, everything we've ever done, everything we've ever thought, or left unsaid or undone. Now, we touched on this some last week, but more we'll look at it today with this final judgment and what follows that. So what lies beyond that final exam as we commence into eternity? Uh, and what does it mean for us? Let's go to the text and see. First, let's look at the setting for the final exam. Then I saw a great white throne, and Him who was seated on it. From His presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. You know, one image we see over and over again throughout Revelation is the throne. From chapter 4 through the end of the book, there's some 32 references to the throne. We have throne room scenes in chapters 4, 5, 7, 8, 11, and 16 through 19. And there's always loud praise and a lot of prayers. And then you come to the throne room here in chapter 20. And nobody's audibly praising God here. Uh... Nobody's singing, no elders, no angels, no martyrs. Nobody's praying, again, at least audibly. There's silence before the throne of God. Uh, it's a solemn occasion to be sure. So John sees Jesus seated on his throne, so holy and so pure and so massive that the earth and the sky that have been dirtied and stained by our sin flee. And they have no place to go. So John sees the dead. He sees everyone, great and small, everyone who's ever lived, standing before the throne. I mean, can you imagine the scene? You have billions and billions of people, famous people, infamous people, and common people. All of humanity. People who have claimed there's no God and no eternity. People who believed Baal or Caesar or Allah were God. And books are open. Books that tell everything everyone ever did. Now, for some, that's going to be a total shock. They've lived their lives in the denial of Jesus Christ's existence as creator, as ruler, and judge. They've deceived themselves into thinking there's no God, like the triune God, that there's no life after death, that there's no sense of accountability. For example, Trevin Wax writes about his his wife's life in Romania during Nicolae Ceaușescu's 25-year reign of terror there. So my wife grew up in the environment and she witnessed firsthand the injustices that took place there. Ceaușescu was a devout atheist who had no fear of what might occur after death. He could live in luxury while systematically starving his people. Without any fear, standing for his maker, Ceausescu was able to justify any selfish craving that he had. Indeed, on our first international journey, mission journey, that was to Romania, and I told you about Titu on, on Easter, uh, and, and uh, the persecution he and others faced from Ceausescu. We met people whose family members were tortured and murdered by Ceausescu. The novelist uh, Dostoevsky wrote in a letter in 1878, what he said helps us here. He said, now, assume there's no God or the immortality of the soul. Now, tell me, why should I, why should I live righteously and do good deeds if I am if I'm to die entirely on earth? And if that's so, why shouldn't I, as long as I can rely on my cleverness and agility to avoid being caught uh, by the law, cut another man's throat and rob and steal? Or the psalmist puts it this way, Psalm 94, they pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the surgeon or murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see. The God of Jacob does not perceive. But you see, the Lord does see. God is the God who sees, as, as Hagar discovered. Uh, God sees. God knows, God cares, and God holds people accountable. That's why in Revelation 6, which is a description of the same scene as this, we read this, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who seated on the throne. And from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of the wrath has come, and who can stand? Everyone is judged for what they've done. Oh, my. That's going to be painful for all of us to hear. All the things that, that, um, that we've thought, or said, or done that we think nobody, nobody about us knows, and they're exposed. It's made known, all of it. I mean, all the things that if we right now knew it about each other, we might be a little scared of each other, all right? Uh, We'd be terrified of living. There's several things to note about that. How many times have we ever said something's not fair? How many times have we felt like somebody escaped justice? Now, we've done that because we have this internal sense of justice. Now, where does that come from? It comes to be made in the image of God apart from our God-likeness, we'd we'd have no sense of justice or expectation of it. But God whose image we're made is is a just God. Uh, And what we see here tells us that all the injustice ever done, all of them will be made right. We'll discover that none escape God's notice. All the hurts, all the abuses, all the lies... All the oppression, God sees it all. All the martyrs of the faith, all the those killed in the, in the Holocaust, there'll be justice. All those murdered in the Soviets' gulag will receive justice. All those that the Chinese have executed for their faith. All the Christians have been martyred in Nigeria. God takes account of everything. Everything's written down. There's no delete button. For your folks, there's no whiteout or eraser, all right? And all those misdeeds done across the centuries and millennia are going to be punished from the greatest to the least, from Nero and Hitler to the millions we've never heard of. Second, given that God will carry that perfect justice, that frees us. We do not need to ever seek revenge. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I know that runs absolutely headlong into the claim that God is only about love. In a novel by the British mystery writer P.D. James, a detective shares what's really a common sentiment today, saying, I don't go for all this emphasis on sin, suffering, and judgment. If I had a God, I'd like him to be intelligent, cheerful, and amusing. In response, her Jewish colleague says, I doubt whether you'd find much of a comfort when they herded you into the gas chambers. You might prefer a God of vengeance. Theologian Todd Billings then comments, A God without wrath is a God who whitewashes evil and is deaf to the cries of the powerless. Precisely because God is a God of love. He's also a God of wrath and perfect justice. Third, this also means that we're going to be held accountable. And that should motivate us for how we ought to live. We ought to live holy lives. This life does count. This life matters. Anthony Hocum writes, The realization we will have to give an account of everything we've done, said, and and thought should be for us a constant incentive to diligently fighting against sin, to be conscious in our service and, and consecrated living. It also means we'll be rewarded for the good works we've done. Now, while every good work we ever do is going to be tainted by sin, it's the Holy Spirit that produces fruit in our lives based on the work of Christ on the cross. And then Christ rewards his people for those works. Remember what Paul says in Ephesians 2, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So when Christ suffered on the cross, he suffered for our sins. He suffered for all the evil we've ever done. And he suffered for our failure not to do the good we should have done. And he also suffers for the imperfections of our righteous deeds. Now here's the thing, though. The final exam is not about our works. Rather, we read this. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they'd done. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them according to what they'd done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Everyone's name was not found written in the book of life. He was thrown into the lake of fire. So the key to the eternal judgment is that other book that's opened, the book of life. Eternity depends on whether our name is written in that book. And if I'm a believer in Jesus, then my name is there and I will live forever with him. And if I'm not a believer, if I never place my trust in Jesus, then my name's not written there. And I'm cast with death and Hades into the lake of fire because of my deeds, it says. This is spiritual death being cast into the lake of fire. Back to the imagery, fighting against drowning while being burned with fire. And this is the second death. A death we who are believers by God's grace do not have to face because we are alive with the Lord. Again, it's a very sober reality for us, as we've said, to realize what the unbelievers around us face. It should be a motivator that the, the good news of Jesus Christ We've got to share it with people who don't know Jesus. To motivate us to lost people to put their faith in Jesus. But don't miss this. Though we deserve it, God in His mercy does not sentence us to the lake of fire. Rather, because our names are written in the book of life, we are with Him. That's God's grace. God put in our names into the book of life. That's an act of God's grace so this is what makes the difference between those who end up in the lake of fire and those who end up in the presence of Christ. It's not that those who end up in Christ's presence have no misdeeds written in the books. We do. It's not that we have more good deeds than others or deserve anything. No, we don't. We're just as guilty as everybody else. What's the difference? The difference is that our names are written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The difference is that Jesus received the punishment for all of our sins that we were due. All of them. And we received Jesus Christ as Savior by grace through faith. And so not only does Jesus give us the forgiveness of our sins, he gives us a brand new day. He gives us a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to get just a taste of it this morning. Go down to 21:1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven, the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, if we read all the, the first eight verses really served to introduce the last two chapters uh, to, the, to the new realities of, that come from living uh, in eternity. And the first reality I would suggest to the graduates and all of us is that while our lives here really do matter, We've always got to remember that this is not all that there is. The truth is, we have in us a knowledge that there's more to our existence than than one brief life on this earth. Solomon put that into words in Ecclesiastes. He said, God has put eternity into our hearts. The sense that we'll live forever somewhere has impacted every civilization in human history. Randy Alcorn points out Australian Aborigines Pictured heaven as a a distant island beyond the western horizon. The early Finns thought it was a a distant island in the faraway east. Mexicans and Peruvians and Polynesians believed that they went to to live on the sun or the moon. Native Americans thought that in the afterlife their spirits would come back and and hunt the spirits of buffalo. There was the Gilgamesh epic of ancient Babylonian legend that refers to a resting place of heroes and and hints at, at the tree of life. In the pyramids of Egypt, the embalmed bodies had maps placed beside them to show their way into the future world. The Romans believed that the righteous would picked into the Elysian fields while all their horses just gave, grazed nearby. Seneca, the great Roman philosopher, said, The day you fear as the last day is the birthday of eternity. And all, all these depictions of the afterlife, they differ. They're all distorted by sin. The unifying testimony of the human heart throughout history is is belief in life after death. And anthropological evidence suggests that every culture has a God-given, innate sense of the eternal. And this world is not all there is. The thing is, we live among people today who try to convince themselves that this world is all there is. And they're desperately trying to fix it trying to prolong it, trying to hold on to it. In fact, there's nothing wrong with caring about the environment. But the John Carries and the Greta Thunbergs of this world are deceived. Peter puts in his second letter, the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. The world we live in now is going to receive a total makeover. This world is dissolved and cleansed in order to be rebuilt and renewed. The word there, new, has, implies a, a change in quality. Um, it's remodeled and prepared for the new Jerusalem to come down. So A.W. Tozer was right to encourage us when he said, let no one apologize for the powerful emphasis Christianity lays upon the doctrine of the world to come. Right there lies its immense superiority to everything else within the world's uh, whole sphere of human thought or experience. We do well to think of the long tomorrow. In today's short, we sang that, while I draw this fleeting breath, when my lips close in death. But we have a long Tomorrow. And here's why, as wonderful as this world is, earth made brand new again, it's even better. There's no more weeds. I worked in the yard yesterday. There's no more weeds, all right? There's no more natural disasters. The sea, which represents a place of chaos, is gone. The holy city of the New Jerusalem is an extraordinary city, as we will see next week. And it's come down, and John reuses... Uh, The metaphor from chapter 19 described as a bride adorned for her husband. Uh, The new earth is going to be a spectacular, breathtaking reality to see. But more than that, verse 3 tells us, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. It's a loud voice to encourage the people of God. And the good news is the Emmanuel principle which we see throughout the Bible now comes to completion. Remember that God comes to to be with Adam and Eve in the garden to walk with them. God dwells with Israel in the desert as a fiery pillar uh, by night and a cloud by day. Then in the tabernacle and the temple we have the Shekinah glory as God dwells in the midst of his people. Then Jesus came for a season at Bethlehem and stayed for 33 years and dwelt in our midst. Then the Holy Spirit came, and now He dwells in each of us individually who are believers. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But then the day is going to come when God's dwelling place with us will be visible, and it will be forever and ever and ever. And we will be His people, and He will be our God. So what's that mean for us? What's up with the new situation? Look, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Do you see what's missing from eternity? Tears. Death. Mourning. Crying. Pain. See, all those things where marks are a fallen world and they're gone. What we'll enjoy is truly spectacular. A future that's far more glorious and wonderful than we can imagine or describe. uh, That we'll look at more in detail in the coming weeks. But it's something each of us can look forward to. Eternity is, is why those that want you to enjoy your best life now, they're cheating you. They are lying to you because, friends, the best is yet to be. So what about us? One day we're going to stand before that great white throne. And we're going to stand there with with absolute, complete confidence that, that our sins are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Or we'll stand there trembling because of the Savior whom we rejected. I would plead with you today, this is not something you can be indifferent about. It's not something to be undecided about. If you're not yet a believer, turn to Jesus today for the forgiveness of sins, for the gift of eternal life, so that the Holy Spirit might work in you to produce fruit for the glory of Christ. And be sure where you stand this morning. And be sure of the task we have. Because of the sobering reality that those whose names are not in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. Friends, we've got to tell others the good news of Jesus. We've got to send people to the ends of the earth with the good news of Jesus. That's the message of the gospel that everyone needs to hear. It's the gospel that saves enemies, that transforms them into saints. It's the gospel we must proclaim to our our lost neighbors. This gospel we must lovingly proclaim uh, to all those who are struggling with sexual identity issues, who are in part victims of the bullhorn of the elite culture. But friends, also rejoice, because our names, as Jesus said, are written in heaven. That, friends, is our strength for today and for tomorrow. And what is our hope for tomorrow? What's our hope this morning? Friends, it's the hope of a new heavens and a new earth. It's the hope of the first day of the rest of eternity. Graduates and everyone, our text confirms that that this life now matters. God's calling us to holiness is not an option to consider. It's not a mandate to comply with. It's what delights God. Not out of guilt, not out of fear, but because living God's way, empowered by the Holy Spirit, delights God. So pursue each day fully for His glory. And do so, remember, we have eternity in our hearts because of eternity in our future. Amy Carmichael, missionary to India, 13 years confined to bed, challenges us. She said, we shall have all of eternity to celebrate the victories. But we're going to have a few hours before sunset in which to win them. And yes, this life has its share of failures and disappointments. Maybe when you are in school, you were uh, cut from that team, or you got a grave you clearly didn't deserve, Uh, you deserve better, or you didn't get the part in that play, didn't land that date you hoped for. Maybe in life we don't get the job that we want, or the house or the car we want. Friends, someday, none of that matters. None of it. Maybe John Erickson taught it to put it better. When it finally hits you that the hopes you cherish will never come true, when it finally hits you that your loved one is gone from this life forever, that your child's disability will never change, that you'll never be as pretty or as popular or successful as you once hoped you might be, then your sights are lifted. A broken heart leads to true contentment. We ask less of this life because we know full well that more is coming in the next So friends like Abraham we're called to to keep looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God We are bound for something better We're bound for the long tomorrow We're bound for the promised land Let's pray Father, we thank you that today we can be a people with great hope. We can have strength for today and hope for tomorrow because we know that when we stand before the judgment throne, we can say, nothing in my hands I bring, simple to the cross I cling. And Father, know that we will enter into your eternal presence because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. And so we thank you for that certainty. And then, Father, that gives us the certainty that of eternity. We're going to live forever, Father, in your presence, in the presence of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Father, we wait for that day. We get tired of the tears of saying goodbye. Father, uh, Lord it hurts every time. Uh, we get tired of the pain, Lord. Uh, Father, all that's gone. It's gone. And with you, we are with you forever. And we thank you, Lord, if anybody here doesn't know that hope, Father, what a marvelous hope to have our sins forgiven because of Christ, to have eternal life here and now and forever. Father, show them your Son, Jesus. Lord, show them the cross. Draw them to the cross, we pray. Even this morning, we ask. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.